welcome to the Kingdom Roots Podcast with Scott McKnight, the conversation designed to look at how the kingdom took root then and how it's taking root now. Today on the podcast, Scott gives us 10 tips on improving your writing. Thanks for joining us again today on the podcast. We're thrilled to have you with us. Before we jumped into the episode, I wanted to let you know that this podcast is an audio from a previously recorded webinar that Scott did. And what he starts with is just a, a brief introduction where he kind of lets you know about his journey of writing and how he came to where he is today. But I think you're really going to um, enjoy and appreciate these 10 tips that Scott has for you. So uh, without further ado, here's our episode. Scott McKnight. I've been teaching at Northern Seminary for five years. This is the completion of my fifth year. I, I, I began to teach at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School way back in 1983. Uh, so I've been teaching over 30 years. I taught there a dozen years and then I taught 17 years at North Park University, which is in the city of Chicago. So um, in, in that, uh, during that time, um, I began to write. Uh, I started writing right away. Although I had a lot of uh, challenges early in my career because my children were small and uh, I had to teach a lot of summer school to make ends meet. Uh, one of my great discoveries was that I started with another, with a professional baseball player, actually, a, a baseball camp. And I was able to make in one week uh, what I was able to make teaching six weeks of summer school. So I quit teaching summer school and that freed up my summers to be able to write. That was a big bonus for me. Uh, but uh, early in my career, I wasn't able to do as much writing. I, 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 I worked, I taught my classes, uh, I prepared lectures, I studied items, uh, but I wasn't able to produce as much writing until I got toward the middle of my career and I got to North Park uh, and I started to write. So. Um, writing is not something that you're probably going to get to do immediately, but it takes uh, some of your life rhythms and life patterns to be able to find the uh, sweet spot for your opportunities to write. And many um, pastors that I have met would like to write, but they realize just how difficult it is to manage writing alongside or in the middle of pastoring. If you are Andy Stanley, you probably have time to write uh, because um, there's a lot more um, support, administrative staff and help. Uh, but, but when you're the pastor of a smaller church, uh, that's, that's gonna be much more difficult to be a writer. But nonetheless, people have come today to talk about writing and I'd like to launch into some suggestions that I've learned over the years about writing that have really helped me. The first thing that I would say about writing is to write and write often. Uh, you can't, it, it's pretty difficult to be a writer in the month of August. I find that writing is uh, in a sense, it's a bit like 
an intoxicating habit. I have learned in my career that I, I think by writing. So there are times when I, I'll write something and I'll say, you know, what I wrote 25 years ago, I'm not sure that I think about that that way anymore. Uh, I've just written uh, a, a little study on the collection for Paul's saints, uh, for the poor saints in Jerusalem. And I realized from a footnote I was looking at uh, that someone was quoting me in something I had written. And I thought, man, I don't even remember writing that or thinking about that, but I know I don't think that anymore. So it was, a, it was uh, it, it's going to involve, if you write often, um, you're going to involve probably some changing of minds. But here, here's something that I have found as, is this to write and to write often is it, it probably is not going to help you that much to read books or essays, even if they're small books like E.B. White and Will Strunk's Elements of Style. It's not going to help you as much to read things about writing as it is to write and to get feedback. So I, I urge people to, to write and to write often. And, and people can do this today so easily on a Facebook. They can do it on a blog. And you build yourself a little bit of a platform, a little bit of an audience. Uh, but to do that, you're going to have to write as a steady stream. So, so let me say the first thing is to write and to write often and to focus on writing. Put pen to paper, as we used to say. Put fingers to keys, I guess is now the word. The second thing is, <clears throat> and I, I think that this is not as important, but it is uh, essential. And without it, it probably isn't, you're not going to become as good a writer as you could be. And that is to read good writers. Now, I'm going to um, make a very strong statement here because I've, I've learned this and I believe it. There are very few people in the world of academics, New Testament, Old Testament, ancient history, and theology who are good writers. This is uh, because we read one another. And when you read one another, you begin to talk like one another. So if you spend your time reading Martin Hengel, who is a great German New Testament historian, you may very well write a paragraph and have six footnotes that take up four pages. Um, this, is, um, this is a guarantee uh, impression, but it is probably not gonna make you a better writer. So I encourage people to read good writers. Now, here's, here's what I'm talking about. Find people who are successful with the audience that you are trying to reach. All right, so look around and say, who are, my, who are the people that I wanna be able to write for? Are, am I trying to write for Sunday school teachers? Am I trying to write for uh, people in the pew? Am I trying to write for fellow pastors or fellow thinkers, theologians, academic types? Uh, we often used, uh, it, it, publishers used to use something they called the informed layperson. And I read something recently by an editor who said that informed layperson is now dead. Uh, there, there's no way that we know what this means. 
So find people who are successful. And in finding people who are successful, for me, uh, because I wanted to write in a more familiar style, and I wanted to write in a way that would be accessible to lay people, to college students, as well as be interesting to teachers, uh, not necessarily PhD experts on some specific topic. So I began to read essays. And this made a big impact on my life. I moved, I think, from being what my wife calls an inaccessible author. That is, I wrote things that nobody was reading because what I wrote was not interesting to very many people. I've read some books where I, I was just reading the other day a, a book and I read two pages and I thought this person is writing for himself because he's the only one who knows everything he's talking about. He's so into this topic. And the result is um, I, I'm, an, I'm an expert in biblical studies, so-called. And I read and I thought, I don't even really know what he's talking about in these two footnotes. So I would say find people who are successful. And I found essayists. And the book that I encourage my students to buy and to read, I am now convinced that they bought it. I am not entirely convinced that they're reading it the way they need to be is a book edited by a man named Philip Lopate called The Art of the Personal Essay. And pick some of the major essays in there and read them and just notice how, how easily they, the words flow and how easy it is to read them. And many times with a little smile and a, and a grin and you go, that was pretty good. And it was funny. And it was a put down or that was a little twist of humor. And I found in reading essays, I think the reason why N.T. Wright is so widely read. And I once told a, a large audience of experts at a theolo theology conference that one of the reasons N.T. Wright is so popular today is because what he writes is interesting. And a lot of people write in ways that are not very interesting. So find people that you say, now, I really like to read this person. And then say, now, I want to learn to write that way and start practicing writing on an important topic that you care about at that level. So that's my second point. Read good writers. My third one is this. Um, revise, revise, revise. I think, and I'm, I'm big on revising because I think by writing. Some people, I, I believe, uh, have worked out everything they're gonna say on pieces of paper and note cards and note taking. And so when they sit down to write, they know everything they wanna say already. Uh, I tend to put my fingers to the keys earlier than that. So I go back and revise. And it is very common for me when I write a book to revise it all the way from beginning to end, anywhere from two to four times. Um, my illustration of this, this is the extreme for me, is in a book called Jesus Creed, I wrote the chapter on Joseph 17 different times because I wanted to, I, I, I had to work it out and, I, and it wasn't working for me, so I worked on it. Uh, but as a general rule, like I, I just uh, have a book out on angels and I had a book on heaven 
I revised that manuscript, those both of those manuscripts, three or four times, all the way from beginning to end. And it brought cohesion, it, it brought in connections, and it made the manuscript better each time. Revising is very, very important. There are a few people that I know who can sit down and write a first draft of something, and it's pretty good. And I think one of those people is N.T. Wright. Tom is very quick, and he's quick, and he's good at writing uh, quickly. Uh, very few people have that gift. You should probably assume you don't. And write, and then revise, and revise, and revise. My fourth uh, suggestion for writing, then, the first one is, is write often, like voting in Chicago. Vote early, vote often, write early, write often. The second one is to read good writers, but the good writers are, you know, Hemingway is going to help you, but he's writing fiction. So you have to determine what your, your audience is and your subject and find someone who's really good at that. Uh, someone who is really good, for instance, in the ancient Roman world is Peter Brown. He's a beautiful stylist and it's fun to read him. All right, the third one is to revise and revise and revise and don't be afraid of taking another month to completely rework all the way through the manuscript and correct things. Um, and then the fourth one is to know your audience. I think this is one of the biggest mistakes that is made. And when I read people, I frequently find uh, re writers, some of them are pretty well known, who will write something and for three pages, it is really, really good. And then all of a sudden, it gets so intense, I think the author has changed his audiences. Actually, he's started to, or she has started to interact with someone who wrote at a different level and they're interacting with that person at that other person's levels and they didn't maintain their voice. I'll give you an example. I was reading a book one time and it was just a beautifully written book. And it was about page 50, read pages one through 50. And I actually wrote the author. I said, this is the closest thing I've ever seen to C.S. Lewis in my life. And all of a sudden for, I think it was 13 pages, the prose changed. And I thought, you know, at this point, my wife who had just asked me if she should read the book, I said, well, I just read 13 pages that I don't think you would at all be interested in, and I know you would find it boring. And then all of a sudden, the author moved back to the previous audience, and it went so well. So I would say this. I have found this to be my uh, constant practice, and I don't hold myself up as some kind of magical writer. I'm not... Ernest Hemingway, and I don't think of myself that way. I, I work at this. Um, I think you have to think very specifically of a specific person for whom you are writing. I wrote my heaven book and my angels book for my mother because I know what the sort of thing that keeps her attention and that makes it interesting for her. I probably had a little too much Bible, but um, I had a specific audience in mind. I find that when people don't keep a specific person in mind, that they wander from one person in the congregation to another person, and they end up speaking at different levels to different people. A book has to maintain the same level. 
footnotes, of course, can wander into more academic discussion in certain contexts. So when I write my commentaries on Colossians and then another commentary on Philemon, one coming out this fall, one next spring, um, I, I thought of pastors. I wrote this for pastors who preach through books. Uh, so not just your you know, typical uh, lectionary preacher, but someone who's gonna preach through an entire book. And I, and I kept them in mind, a specific pastor, as I prepared that text. And my fifth, my fifth point, and um, I actually have more than five, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna expand this, this, this approach to five, whatever it was, it was advertised as five, is ask for feedback. Almost every time I write a book, I send it to friends that I think will tell me the truth of what they think. I just recently wrote a very small book on baptism and I sent it to about 10 people. Well, I'm asking for people's time and it takes a lot of time to read somebody's manuscript. And I got comments back from about six of them. Every one of them had concrete things to say that made my manuscript better. And the, and the best two sets of comments came at the end and when I thought I was done and they really made me work harder on, on the manuscript. And I think you have to write in such a way that you have to be willing for feedback. Send it to five people and say, now look, now do, if you give it to your spouse, uh, your spouse may not want to start a fight with you. So he or she are going to tell you the, the nice things. That's probably not. Now, my wife is not that way. She'll say to me, this chapter was just so boring or this section did nothing get a story in here this is getting slow so she has good instincts for this sort of thing and i've developed her instincts my editor at at paraclete ripped me apart the first time i when i wrote jesus creed and she would she would cross out whole chapters and she'd say scott this chapter was terrible i felt uh to quote the the words of uh Anne Lamott, I felt like spider puke at times after I read her comments. It got to be where I would send a little Copan, um, or she would send me a manuscript. I would let it sit on my desk for at least a week before I had the courage to pick it up. Uh, I had to be in a pretty good mood to take the kind of thing she was going to say. And that sort of feedback has made me a better writer because she has said, she taught me keep chapters with one main idea. Don't try to prove things. Your, your audience trusts you already. You don't have to prove anything. Just explain it and make it interesting and use good words, use good verbs and concrete nouns. And she finds little expressions of mine that I use in verbal communication that shouldn't be used in written communication. And she crosses them all out. So I think we have to get good feedback. All right. Now, a couple more points I'd like to add about reading, uh, about writing. So I'm going to go on to, uh, to the next five. Uh, this, this number six is this. I, uh, this really helped me. Uh, when I finish at the end of a day, let's just say my normal writing pattern is I can usually get to my computer right here where I'm standing. I can usually get here by 7.30 in the morning, sometimes earlier. Sometimes not till eight because something's happening in the internet world that I need to talk about or get going on. 
uh, and I stay till about two or two thirty. I I take short breaks during the day. I don't get distracted. Uh, but I, when I finish the end of the day, I always write the first sentence or first paragraph of where I'm starting the next day. I wanna I wanna tell you that for many people, the hardest sentence is the first sentence. And the hardest sentence in a book, or, or the second hardest sentence in a book is the first sentence of the next chapter. So I found as a trick, and I don't know where I learned this or if I learned this by doing this, is to begin, is to finish the day by beginning the next day so that when I open up the, the file, I'm, I'm already uh, moving forward. This really helped. Seventh, shorter is better. Uh, I'm reading a book right now, uh, and I'm not talking about Greg Boyd's Crucifixion of the Warrior God, but I could be, I'm, but I'm not. I'm reading a book, and as I read it, I thought, way too long. <clears throat> this book only needs to be about 150 pages, and it's about 300 pages. Uh, the author was loading in everything that he thought he knew about a subject that needed to be said, but much of it uh, is a conversation with himself rather than with other people. And when you start talking about certain topics, you have to judge uh, the length. For instance, I read a big old book one day or one time, I think it's about 800 pages. And the author at the beginning said that he wrote the book for a general audience. And I wrote him because he was a friend of mine. And I said, I want you to know something. The general audience is not interested in 800 pages on that topic. I said, the general audience is probably wants 20 pages. So we, we need to know our audience and to think about shorter is better. Some of the most impactful books in my life have been short books, not big fat ones, because they put things together. I, I will never forget reading C.H. Dodds according to the scriptures, thinking that this little book on how the New Testament is used in the New Testament, or how the Old Testament is used in the New Testament is far more powerful than some other books that are about 500 pages long. So shorter is better. E.B. White, I think, no, it was William Zinser, a great writer who wrote, I think, about five editions of a book called On Writing Well, illustrating that revision is necessary. William Zinser once said, whatever you can write in two pages, I can write in one. And so shorter is better. Cut, cut, cut. It's frequent that I finish a book, especially a more popular book, where I have what I call extra files that are just as long as the book, or at least half as long as the book of stuff that I wrote that I didn't use. My next point, I think it's number eight. Be yourself. Don't be N.T. Wright. Don't be Walter Brueggemann. Don't be Peter Brown. Don't be Martin Hangel. Figure out who you are and find your voice. I learned this by reading Joseph Epstein, who is a beautiful Jewish essayist. Um, I love his books. I've read every, I think I've read every book that he's written except his book on Fred Astaire, which I bought just because I like Epstein so much, but I have never found any reason to read a book about Fred Astaire. And I discovered his voice. And I remember saying, I need to be me. 
I don't want to be an academic. I don't want to be Professor McKnight. I don't want to be Theologian McKnight. I don't want to be Pastor McKnight. I want to be me. And I want to write the way uh, according to the voice that I have. So I think you have to discover yourself. And when you read good writers, you will discover that they have voice. Some, uh, for instance, Chris and I have talked about this a lot. And she'll pick up a, a young writer. And she has said to me 15 times, because I get sent so many books, this writer has no voice. I, I don't know who the person is by the way they write. They're just covering a topic. Then you read Anne Lamott and you go, oh, I feel like I know the woman. And, you know, I, I was in her presence. I don't think I shook her hand, uh, but I don't know her at all. But I've read her and she comes through her pages. I think voiciness is good. Some people don't like voiciness. I find people who write commentaries or books on Paul who don't have the personality of Paul to be ruining the Apostle Paul. You cannot turn Paul into an analytical theologian. The man was a man of passion. If you're gonna write about Paul, you better figure out how to be that kind of voice or it's gonna be unfair to the person. Two more points. I think this is nine and 10. I really believe this. I think we need more people who write for the church, especially now I'm talking to professors Far too many of us write for the academy, what my uh, uh, editor friend Reiner Van Til used to call for the guild. They're writing to one another, for one another, by one another, and they're the only ones reading it. And they complain that at the end of the year, they got $117 on royalties. And the reason is, is because there's only 30 people who are interested in that topic written at that level. So right for the church. And I think we need more and more people writing, especially professors who can write accessible prose for the church in such a way that church people like it. A lot of us professors think we're writing for the church because we say we're writing for the church, but nobody in the church is reading it. And there's a reason for that is because it's probably not all that interesting. So we got to work on this. All right. Now, my last point is this. Everything you read you should read aloud. I begin my day when I'm writing accessible books, not when I'm writing a commentary, but it doesn't hurt to do that. I begin my day by pulling off the shelf, C.S. Lewis, Mere Christianity. I've got an old hardbound copy. And I read a page or two aloud to myself to hear his voice, to hear his cadence and rhythm. I think, C.S. Lewis was a brilliant stylist. I love his voice in reading him. And I find that after I write a paragraph, if I read it aloud, I hear a lot of things I would never have heard before. I would never have seen. I, if I read it aloud with the imagined person that I'm writing for in front of me, I have to say, that sentence that I just wrote, I know that person will never understand a thing I just said. And occasionally, you know, I'll get a comment from an editor. I do not know what this sentence means. That's my fault. I have friends who say that's because editors aren't smart. My theory is we have to learn to write so that people in front of us can understand what we have to say. So these are my 10 suggestions, not five. 
Thanks again for joining us for another episode of Kingdom Roots. I really hope you found it as valuable as I did on those 10 things that Scott had to share about improving your writing. Um, If you found yourself wanting to write it down and maybe you were driving or or running or working out, whatever you do when you listen to the podcast and you weren't able to write them down, I wanted to let you know that I've included all 10 of his suggestions in the show notes. If you want to click on those at another time and write them down and and post them at your desk or wherever that can be helpful to remind you on the ways that you actually can improve your writing. Um, Because any of us who have done any writing know it can be such a challenging thing. And um, some of these simple tricks are are great ways to improve something we want to get better at. So um, thanks again for joining us. I want to let you know this is just the first part of the webinar and we're actually going to do the next part next week where Scott fields some of our, our those who are attending on the webinar their biggest questions about writing. So um, please join us again next week as we continue our conversation on how the kingdom took root then and how it's taking root now. <laughs>